In our series, We Shall Overcome, we've been going through Revelation, and we're now on the last chapter, Revelation chapter 22. We're almost at the end. We're just looking at the first five verses this week. This is the last chapter in the whole of the Bible, and it has a significance which is It's like a bookend at one end of the Bible describing the blessings of eternity to come in contrast to what happened at the very start in the first few chapters, especially chapters 1 to 3 in Genesis. We're reminded here in Revelation chapter 22 that we are pilgrims on earth. There are times in our lives when we're reminded that life is not all that we would like it to be, all that we would want it to be. There are many people who are struggling with difficult marriages, broken relationships, suffering health problems day in, day out. Those who are struggling with financial security. Where is tomorrow's food going to come from? Where is next week's or next month's wages going to come from? For many people, there are struggles, stresses. We're tempted to worry. But the good news of the gospel is that there's a time coming when there will be no more of these things any longer. No more worries, no more stresses, no more illness, no more evil, no more broken relationships, no more antisocial behavior, no more insecurity. These things will be gone forever. Yet no matter how much we might be secure on this earth, how how settled or secure we might feel, we're nevertheless still pilgrims passing through. We're looking forward to a better world to come. Like the faithful believers in the past, the writer to the Hebrews says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. In recent years, we're more familiar with the stories of asylum seekers or migrants or refugees who have had to flee a war-torn country or a situation which was a danger to their lives and to try and make their way often over land, often taking many, many months to a country, to a place where they can have security and freedom. How hard it must be for them to uproot their lives and to become migrants in the hope of settling down somewhere in the future. (coughs) And yet... When we consider such situations, we too are in that situation when it comes to our eternal destiny. We are migrants on this earth. We are pilgrims. We are nomads on this world, on this earth, as we look forward to our eternal future. Problem is, we've been pilgrims so long that even though we know where we're looking forward to going, if we have trusted in Christ an eternal future. 
we're often tempted to forget where we've come from. And we don't realize that we are journeying on our way to eternity. Sometimes we become too settled in this world to realize that this is not our home. Imagine some of the, the, the refugees or migrants who are traveling a long way. Imagine that their journey wouldn't take just months, but years. Children would be born on the way. They'd grow up. Sometimes they might be in a migrant camp for, for years as their paperwork is getting processed. And they get settled down, and this is all they know. And they think this is their world. They're tempted maybe not to look forward to what they were originally looking forward to. And they're tempted to forget where they've come from. So too, many people here have forgotten where we've come from. Humanity has all but forgotten the predicament that we are in because of sin, because of our rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. We have a vision for where we would like to go, but we've forgotten where we've come from. In the first few verses of the last chapter of the Bible here, remind us that because we will not be under a curse in eternity, there will be no more curse. That reminds us that we are actually under a curse of God here and now. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. The curse we are under now is from our rebellion against God, which is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. And to the man God said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Life is a struggle because we are, because of our rebellion, we get what we deserve. We're under the curse of God. Romans 1.18 describes this and says, God shows his anger, his wrath from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That isn't just the openly ungodly. That's the morally good as well, who are still trying to be good without God or good but not able to be good enough. That includes also those who are religious, those who have had the benefit of God's word. On its own, the written word, the letter of the law doesn't change us. We need the spirit to change us. And so Paul concludes all three groups of people, and there's a bit of each bit of them in each bit of each of them in each of us. All have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. <clears throat> we deserve to be judged, but instead of judging us, instead of condemning mankind, God has been merciful and gracious to us. He has postponed his judgment day and he's giving us grace and mercy and an opportunity to get right back with him. He is giving us grace and he provides for us. We don't deserve it. Everything we receive is a gift from God. Imagine someone who's given a great job. It's easy work, great conditions and a promotion track and all they have to do is just do the work, follow the rules, 
and there will be no problem. But instead, they're found guilty of gross misconduct and they're fired. And then they find themselves without, without an income. And yet the employer, out of the charity, out of the goodness of his heart, gives them something, gives them money for free, gives them charity. After a while, they come to rely on it and they come to expect it and think they deserve it. And then they complain that they haven't got more. And they forget that they're in that predicament because they put themselves there. And they forget that all the good things they have are out of the charitable goodness and love of their former employer. So too, humanity has come to expect good things from God as a right when instead these are all just out of God's grace towards us. We are pilgrims on this earth. We have forgotten where we've come from. We have forgotten that God has been gracious to us. It's been said that in order to know where you are, you need to know where you've come from and where you're going to. It's helpful for us to look at where we've come from. We know where we're going to. And we can appreciate all the more God's grace to us. When we look back to where we've come from, we see that paradise was temporary. The garden from which Adam was turfed out, that wasn't what we're trying to get back to. Where he was was only temporary. There was something even better that could have been in store for him. Theologians, many, many theologians agree that Adam was under time of probation. It's not stated explicitly, but it's implicit that if he had been obedient and not sinned, he would have been given access to the tree of life. Robert Raymond states, from the comparison which Paul draws between Adam and Christ in Romans 5, 12 to 19, as representative heads of two different covenant arrangements, it's necessary to postulate that had Adam successfully passed his probation, he would have been confirmed in holiness, moving from the state of being able to sin to state of not being able to sin, and all his descendants would have received his confirmed holiness as well. But instead we have his unholiness. He failed But the good news is, as Paul says, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Michael Horton says, It was the spirit who led the servant into the wilderness temptation to endure the probation that Adam and Israel failed to fulfill Christ is a new Adam where Adam failed Christ succeeded the probation that Adam failed on Christ went into the wilderness and had a far more difficult temptation and he passed 
He was obedient to God through all his life. So not only is he perfect, but at the end, he suffered and died on the cross for our sins. The blessing that Adam didn't receive after his time in the garden, that is the blessing that is offered to us through faith in Christ. We struggle. But we're looking forward to an eternity ahead, which is not simply paradise restored, but it's the blessing that paradise was looking forward to, the better blessing than paradise. The city of God is better by far than what was lost. (coughs) Jesus endured the cross, so we are promised eternal blessings. Because he loved us, because he walked in our shoes, because he lived a life without sin, God is not angry with his Son. The Father is not angry with Christ. And because we are in Christ, if we've trusted in him, he's not angry with us either. And we are promised access to a tree of life that Adam could have had access to if he had been obedient. So it'll be worth it all if we persevere. If we persevere with Christ, if we walk and follow him, if we endure the hardships that we are under at the moment. These things are only temporary. What is to come is far better. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no more night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. This is a bookend. Revelations chapter 21 and 22 are a bookend to the whole of God's redemptive history. What started off in the garden in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, the the difficulty of people rebelling against God, mankind becoming such anarchists that God had to start again after the flood. And he started and he blessed a few individuals and then he promised Abraham that he would bless him. There would be many people coming to faith through him his descendants. He was the the pioneer of faith, the Bible tells us. It was to show us that being justified by faith is how people are right with God. God blessed him with the 12 tribes of Israel. They wandered. They were unfaithful. God restored them. They were unfaithful. God restored them. Eventually they were exiled. God brought them back. And then the Messiah, the promised Messiah was given. Jesus came. The New Testament church grew. The church has been growing down through the centuries. And yet we are still pilgrims. We are still in this wandering 
through history from the start, what happened back in Genesis 1 to 3, to the end which is promised here in Revelation 21 22. These verses at the start of Revelation chapter 22 are significant not just because of what they promise, but because of all that has gone beforehand. They are the fulfillment of the hopes of all people from all nations who have trusted in Christ. This is a better garden than the one we were excluded from. How can you communicate what eternity is going to be like? John has shown some visions which try to communicate in ways which we might understand. I don't think we will fully understand the glory, the blessing, how wonderful it will, wonderful it will be. But we see a garden described here which clearly indicates a, that it will be better than the one we were excluded from. We see the water of life which will be clear as crystal. A city with a water supply needed to protect its water supply. The king of Assyria back in 2 Kings 19 when he laid siege to Jerusalem polluted the water supply to try and get the people to give up and it succeeded. But then there will be no more enemies. There will be no more pollution. No, no need to fear. This water supply will be clear as crystal. But more than that, this water supply will be the water of life. It symbolizes the Holy Spirit within us, this life that comes to us from God. We will be with Christ forever in perfect peace. Also, this river echoes Ezekiel chapter 47, where Ezekiel had a vision of a river coming from the temple. Yet here there is no temple. There's no need for a temple. Then there was a need for a temple to remind people of there's a need for a sacrifice for sin. The temple, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system pointed forward to the cross. It symbolized the blood of Jesus, which was to come. The Lord's table looks back to that shedding of his blood on the cross. But then there will be no more temple because there's no need for a sacrifice any longer. It is finished. Christ has sacrificed for sin. The lamb will be there. He is the lamb slain for the sins of the world and he sits on the throne with the father. The river flows not from the temple but from the throne of God and of the lamb. And this dwelling place with God forever will be a place where the nations are healed. And the leaves of the tree, the tree of life, are for the healing of the nations. Again, Revelation is symbolic. It uses picture language to try and communicate truths. The tree of life, even back in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, symbolized eternal life with God. It arguably is not a real tree. 
and so too in eternity to come. The tree of life, which has been spoken of here, is symbolizing the, the life that comes from God, the blessing that comes from God. And the leaves of the tree are simply the, the many ways in which God is going to restore and heal all that has been broken, all that has been suffered here and now. We will have perfect minds and perfect spirits. So this healing will not be in terms of sanctification because we will be holy. But it will be in terms of restoration. People from all nations around the world (coughs) will then live in harmony with each other. What we have failed to achieve here and now, we will have there and then. People in the past used to go to to war with each other, a physical war, a military war. More recently, it's still going on, but more recently people are, are fighting an economic war with each other. But then we will live in harmony together. There will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice how many of those things of the fruit of the Spirit are in how we interact with other people. The nations will get on well together. I don't think there's going to be people who are identified as being, you know, we're not going to be labeled as being Irish, English, American, French, South African, whatever. We're going to come from these nations and we're going to be healed as God's new people, one body. We will likely have some very distinctive things. We, we, we will likely have our own histories, but these things will not identify us. These things will not define us any longer. Even now we are citizens of heaven. That is our primary identity. Those who are nationalists and unionists, republicans and loyalists, who are believers in Jesus, will be getting on perfectly together on that day. In America, republicans and democrats will be of one mind together. The English and the French won't be battling over fishing rights. There'll be no more sea. All around the world, the divisions that have been caused because of sin will be there no longer. In that sense, the tree of life will be a healing for the nations. There will be no more hostility between people of different, different ethnic backgrounds. Blacks and whites will get on well together. People from all different cultures and ethnicities will be reconciled and the best of each will be celebrated no longer will there be any curse the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him no longer will we be living at a distance from God no longer will we be calling out to the Lord in prayer please hear us 
wondering, does he hear us? We know he does. But then we will be close with him. We will talk with him. We will walk with him. More than that, we will worship him. We will serve him. Worship has in common language often been thought of to be synonymous with singing praise. Worship is almost synonymous with praise and not with singing. But in the Bible, worship is not necessarily confined to even a whole service of worship, let alone just the singing within it. Worship is a way of life. We worship God not only in our devotions, not only in our services, not only in our singing or praise, but in how we work, how we relate to others, how we do everything. Life is worship if we are living for God. We will worship him. That doesn't mean that we'll be constantly singing his praises. Worshipping God will include doing work. Work will be fulfilling. Work will be no longer a drudgery, a struggle. Work will be a joy. We will do things that bring praise and glory to God. We will serve him. We will love him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and we will love our neighbour as ourselves. In serving him, we will be serving others. In serving others, we will be serving him. Sin will no longer get in the way. We will live and serve him with perfect obedience and perfect joy. He will be our God and we will be his people. He will be our light. There will be no need for any lesser light no lamps no sun no moon we will have the true source of light with us one of the truths of the bible is that we don't have to wait to experience something of that new life here and now down through history God has been calling people to himself and as we place our trust in Christ we have been able to experience something of that new life which comes by the power of the spirit within we record in, we see in Proverbs gentle words are a tree of life a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And again, joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and our wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand, and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down to delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. We have tasters of the tree of life here and now. We taste of that tree of life here and now when we walk in the spirit. The wisdom in Proverbs is almost an Old Testament way of describing the fruit of the Spirit as Paul describes it in the New Testament 
Wisdom in the Old Testament comes from having a restored relationship with God and walking with God as a follower of Christ. Let's hold tightly to wisdom. Let's walk in the power of the Spirit. Let's stay close to Jesus as his followers. And then we can have a foretaste of that life that is still to come, even before we receive it. We have not yet received the fullness by any means, but we have already tasted that the Lord is good. We've tasted something of that here and now. We can experience that not only in our own lives personally, but together as we are reconciled with, as we are united with others, not on the basis of anything worldly, not on the basis of Ulster Protestantism, not on the basis of nationality, but on the basis of unity in Christ alone. We have access to this tree of life. We are under, everyone is under a a period of probation to some extent in this life. While Adam, his probation was, if he was obedient, he would even be even more blessed. For us, our probation is simply to leave this life having made the most important choice of all, to trust in Christ. Everything else is less significant. It's great to glorify God, but the most important thing is that we leave this life right with him. It's better if we live a full life of service towards him. But the most important thing for us, at least, is that at some point in this life, we place our faith in Christ. That we end our time of probation on this earth knowing that we have secured eternal life to come. Let's come if we've trusted in Jesus. Let's come to the Father with confidence. Let's come in the name of Jesus. And let's come with joy and thanks and praise. And let's look forward to what is promised for us. And let's invite others to come to trust in Christ and to look forward to that same eternal joy and blessing. All it takes to secure that is like the man who went into the temple to pray and unlike the man the Pharisee who tried to tell God how good he thought he was none of us is good enough the tax collector at the back knew his sin and says God have mercy upon me a sinner look into the place of sacrifice look into what symbolized Christ and his death on the cross he says God have mercy upon me a sinner when we look to the cross turning from our sin and simply ask God have mercy on me a sinner we're forgiven and as Jesus said that man went home justified right with God eternity secured that's all we need to do God in his grace and his love for us hasn't made it difficult if we just want it if we just ask if we just turn to him it is ours Let's praise God, let's look forward and let's walk and live in the light of what is still to come. We can experience something of it here and now. Let's experience more and more of it and let's invite others 
to do so as well. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you. You have done it all. You have prepared a place for us. You have made it possible through the cross for us to be right with you. You have given us a a new start. You have given us someone else, a perfect Adam, a perfect Christ, Lord, to be our head. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your promises of salvation and eternal life. And we thank you that they are ours simply for the taking, for the asking. Lord, help us to do so and help us to be thankful. Help us to remember where we've come from and, Lord, where we are going to. And it's all by your grace. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.